0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence. Today, I have Stephen Svetkov. Stephen is a founder of Realty Quant, a company that brings data-driven and quantitative technologies to real estate industry. They're on a mission to massive industry values through education, investment, technology, and analytics. Financial engineering turned multifamily investor, analytics speaker, and a live webinar host. Stephen holds a master's degree in financial engineering from Columbia University. And during his finance career, managed $90 billion, with a B, derivative portfolio jointly with colleagues. He's featured on multiple podcasts and webinar events, including Elevate, Best Ever Real Estate Show, The Apartment Guys, etc., And he's also the host of Finance Meets Real Estate webinar series. Welcome to our show today, Stephen.
1: A pleasure to be here
0: awesome and then today i understand that you're gonna be helping us and in diving into a lot of the analytics about the market reading market reading real estate so thank you so much for be on the show today so can you tell our viewers a little bit about uh yourself mm-hmm. and how did you going on the path of where you at and then uh, creating this pretty unique company here
1: yes uh, so i'm um, eastern european originally so i came uh, to the states at 22 for grad school you know kind of pretty please share out right if you think about it and and so so then i worked in finance for about a decade uh, so like you mentioned i was managing like a derivatives portfolio um you know together with like several colleagues we you know we were trading like equity interest rate derivatives in finance so that was my job at the time so kind of like a very markets you know like markets finance role and in the recent like few years i've been a full-time real estate investor and i've been uh, doing like analytics in the real estate industry as well on the both on the property side and the uh, and the market side. And I've been doing data-driven investing in residential real estate around in the New York City area. And I've been also transitioning to commercial out of state in the Midwest um, currently.
0: Got it. So Stephen... I understand that you are kind of the the math whiz over here. So let's kind of get into just some rapid files in terms of our markets. The biggest news on the market right now is interest rates keep on going up. Now, some of of us who are investing, we see this trend that's coming. We know there's inflation. There's going to be interest rate hike uh, in order to compound this. So what is the impact of interest rate going up? And do you have, nobody has crystal ball, but do you have a little bit projections of where the rates are going to go to? I think that's obviously an urgent question where everybody has in their mind. Yeah.
1: And that's a great question. Well, I used to, like I mentioned, I used to trade interest rates actually before in, um, in finance. So it kind of like, they have like a little bit of background. So I can relate to in 2020, for example, I can relate to the ahead of the COVID recession quote and very short recession, right? But still, uh, you know, like a very one quarter recession quote. And so ahead of that, like one thing to note about interest rates that will happen is that interest rates, the, the way we knew as uh, finance professionals at the time and trading the market that, okay, we are in a recession that just hasn't been measured yet in like GDP, two consecutive quarters of GDP slowdown terms, let's say. But the way we knew it was, okay, it's um, the bond market had a huge rally. So interest rates sort of really plummeted like at the end of January and like beginning of February already. So, so the time was already, okay, it's, uh, looks like it's a recession, you know, like such a huge bond rally, heavily correlates with the recession. So that's like one comment on interest rates. So it's really, they're, they're going up, but they were going up in 2018 mm-hmm. with the Fed was hiking rates. Mm-hmm. And then in 2019, the yield curve inverted. And now the whole inversion has like all these other comments of, okay, what portion of the treasuries and yield curve is actually held by the Fed themselves. Mm -hmm. And then there was like an article today, like New York Fed holds like, I think like around 38% of the two to 10 year treasury security, but then it becomes the question of, okay, what's the impact of that on mortgage rates? Now if Fed holds, of like a position in in that and like should mortgage rates be even higher if they didn't you know like or something like that but but really like the, the interest rates aside so okay in 2019 then the yield curve inverted and interestingly that yield curve inversion predicted which historically has generally predicted recessions now with the exception of Russian debt crisis in 98, for example, but the yield curve inverted, and then it did succeed to predict what it was a pandemic-caused recession, which, okay, how that works, I have no idea. You know, maybe it was random, maybe there would have been another recession or something like that, but it ended up also not failing just on the historical record, so 2000. Um, 19 inversion and and, and, then, and so, so after the then, so there was an inversion and then sort of a bond rally into recession so that's kind of the dynamic that at least for me is my baseline uh, scenario now so there are the rate hikes so the treasuries the ten year treasury then um, reflects you know those rate hike expectations which I believe as of um, prior to April uh, the rate hike expectations were around 325 basis points total now it seems like they've been reducing a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, like those expectations, but generally that's like, that's what happens. So rates go up with the Fed hiking rates, trying to sort of save the economy, but then Mm -hmm. they will hike rates only that much. And then the moment they stop, then the general trend, and of course, nobody can predict the future, but the general expectation is actually rates plummeting in a recession. So that's something I say say to my real estate investor friends, where they're like very concerned, okay, see if interest rates are going to go forever up. But yes, they are going up now, but it's really what happens, you know, such as rate hiking, rate curve inversion, subsequent bond rally, and then we're in a recession. So that's kind of like the usual cycle. And so that's like my personal kind of baseline scenario on interest rates in that sense.
0: Yeah. And then if we look at the 1970s, where <laughs> the last time where inflation has gone up to the rate where it is right now, yeah. and then it took... Some will say maybe that wasn't the reason why it went down, but it took Volcker, people always credit Volcker to be, you know, helping with that inflation rate by hiking up the interest rate to, I think, almost 20% or something like that, right, in order to curb that. Some economy will say that was not the reason why it was curbed. Do you think, do you see that interest rate going up to that drastic measure, or do you think it's more going to be around 2 to 3% here now, going up to that point? And then it's probably might be enough uh, because it would drive the economy down to d- depression.
1: I mean, it's hard to say. I think it's going to depend on really, I guess, like if we start entering a recession or not and and, mm-hmm. and like this kind of perspective, but it's really, well, on that thing, let's say now the biggest, what are the biggest predictors now of like the recession expectation that currently everybody has? It's the uh, yield current version and then consumer confidence, right? So those are the two that are very, now yield curve inversion is now in some models, they don't know how they derive the probability so since they're having that many youth curve inversions in the past, but, you know, it's let's say two thirds probability of a recession within 12 months and then 98% within 24 months, right? That's kind of the, that was kind of like what was around the articles, like, even like mainstream articles, right, on, on the topic. And so, but then there's another nuance to that,
0: mm-hmm. that
1: the stock market historically peaked 3 to 12 months before a recession following a new curve inversion. Oh. Now, the stock market already peaked, um, you know, don't call me, me to that, but I think it's already five months ago at least. Mm -hmm. That was the peak. So unless we now get like some kind of reversal, which doesn't seem too likely, but, you know, never know, like then it's, it could be kind of like seven months ahead. You know, it's it's kind of hard to say, but that's like, let's say a very, you know, just like if the history, like exactly matches or something, it can be completely different as well. But generally it doesn't seem to be an overly long timeline for that. Now Mm -hmm. the rate hikes, you know, there are like that many FOMC meetings or Fed meetings to happen. So the rate hikes, they really, you know, could, um, uh, you know, we can have a few and like they've been kind of planning to raise like with 50 basis points per meeting, right? So it's kind of could, could get to mm-hmm. a to a certain level. It's hard to say, like I wouldn't expect to get too high myself, but but it's really hard to say. So
0: Yeah, but it's really kind of interest rate hike is not really the biggest combat to inflation. What Feds try to hope for is mm-hmm. increase the interest rate high enough, if that's the consumer, you know, confidence and also getting some parts mm-hmm. of the Let's say real estate sectors et etc, come down a little bit more, and then it essentially would drive the economy to a depression, so the depression itself and maybe it's a combat method for inflation because that would slow down the economy and hopefully slow down the inflation over absolutely
1: here. absolutely and that is the case indeed actually in the seventies actually because where when we had a uh, when there was a recession like with the super high inflation at the time and it didn't um you know, it's not like the recession prevented in, inflation plummeted in the in, in the recession. So that's like the other thing, like with people being very concerned about either interest rates or re- recession, but they both tend to like, you know, really go down once the economy kind of slows down. So this is kind of my general like expectation, but of course it's hard to predict mm-hmm. the future, but that is, uh, you know, my baseline scenario. Now mortgage rates is, you know, you know, many of, like some of your audience might know mortgage rates are primarily tied to the 10-year treasury rate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like people, they don't hold their mortgages for 30 years, right? right. Kind of, and the 10-year rate is a pretty important rate. In the mm-hmm. first place, So it kind of like, they correlate highs to the 10-year rate. So the 10-year rate has been responding to, to the rate hike expectations, and it appears perhaps those rate hike expectations subsided a little bit. And some of the probabilities, I think, reduced because 10-year rate pulled back recently to its level a little over a month ago. Mm-hmm. So And with that, mortgage rates reacted a little less, and they kind of are a little bit less down than the 10-year rate is. So it's been, um, you know, like this kind of dynamic. but Now, of course, perhaps it, the general trend of interest rates is still up at the current time. But that is, um, you know, like that, that's kind of the situation. now. I don't know if they would go like way too high, like interest rates, it's hard to say, but mm. it will stop whenever the yeah. recession. Goes, so,
0: yeah. <laughs> it, it's cyclic like, and uh, whatnot over here. And then I, I noted that that over here was the interest rate hike. Um, we kind of talk about that. But now, Stephen, do you have any other data to show that potentially, because we're kind of talking about data-driven items over here, do you have like some data to show, do you really think economy is doing well right now? I mean, one thing is about the inflation, but do you think economy is doing well? And then what is your strategy in this inflationary scenario where the rate is also going up? Essentially, you kind of have a little bit of the double whammy and not to mention the China lockdown with the supply chain you know, mm-hmm. supply chain impact over there as well.
1: Well, yeah. myself is, um, that's a great question, actually. I mean, myself is, uh, again, like having generally transitioned to a real estate industry, I think I have a stronger view that is like intuition about the data from looking at the real estate, various real estate markets, kind of, yeah. and like get a sense of, okay, are they over, under, fair, devalued? So what is the downside risk in various markets? Assuming we, enter a recession let's say and so that's kind of like where I feel like I have more focus now as far as the broad economy I mean I'm not an economist but I had a I just pulled in front of myself like there's like a dashboard that was that was from around one two months ago for I mean the the most bearish kind of negative signals that are in the current economy whether it's a strong or weak one let's say is well it's uh, we mentioned yield curve consumer sentiment and um, now in in the inflation, right? Now Mm -hmm. there are some positives that have been employment gains, like jobless claims are at historic, low, like savings are high, you know, that could be expected at this point in the cycle, but, and and so forth. So there have been like some positives. Now we saw like the technology sector, kind of a tumble with, because actually technology stocks, they do really poorly at high inflation, right? That's been seen in the seventies. So in the seventies, growth stocks heavily underperformed value stocks. So that was, so like the, so like the weakest companies, the weakest technology companies in terms of earnings, they first, their earnings even further suffered. Like they started getting even more unprofitable with inflation. And second, now their valuations were like totally phony, perhaps you can say. And so now Mm. they, let's say but let's say there's some kind of method to them and now interest rates kind of went up and those valuations went totally off it seems so that's kind of like so the a lot of the small cap technology based on at least my following of like different like financial commentators on this on LinkedIn I
0: mm-hmm. can connect
1: you to some of them actually was was okay it's very much uh driven by um you know just the interest rate spike now then that kind of a little bit went into the bigger cap technology um as well and there's like a huge spread versus like the energy sector which then is like benefiting from inflation like and in, in this kind of perspective um but um yeah so there's like a mix of there there are some relatively bullish am i bullish maybe no but i'm you know i'm i'm european. not as
0: grim <laughs>
1: yeah yeah <laughs> that's so maybe
0: european
1: what finance finance i would have
0: hoped you are how yeah. many european
1: finance people you know who are bullish about the economy? so it's like that's kind of a joke but um you know so that's kind of um um that's the perspective but in the real estate market they can make like more uh, commentary actually in terms of that
0: yeah that's very interesting so i love kind of what you just said over there and i want to kind of te- tease it out and make this generalization you mentioned before during this period of time was inflationary period of time uh, mm-hmm. the technology stocks or the growth stock typically do less than the value stock and value stock really mm-hmm. when we translate it into real estate investing it's kind of like the cash flow right it's like mm-hmm. the cash flow yield type of a uh, Assets or would not tend to do well. And the company is a kind of the asset as well. Um, but by like the growth is almost like this, maybe like a value add or this like new construction, like something that is more written on equity versus mm-hmm. cash flow. Is that like a good assumption and generalization to kind of summarize that up when we're looking at a patent, both in the stock market or asset across all assets, what we're, what we should be kind of looking at?
1: yeah that's a very i think that's very good actually and yeah it's an interesting comparison of like real estate uh, and let's say value investing and in that sense i mean it's a little bit you know like in kind like in finance like real estate stocks they actually have some of the highest price earnings ratios So Mm there, which is interesting, but that just, and that's kind of like, it's pointing to the tax benefits of real estate, right? That we see as like private investors, because it's really the earnings become meaningless. I was actually looking at like, perhaps like last week at like the S&P 500, like the the top price earnings ratio out of all 500 companies, it's real estate investment trust, UDR. And so uh, it's just because, okay, earnings are kind of meaningless, you know, they've just, uh, you know, you have to add back depreciation to them. And okay, that's like, okay, financial analysts, perhaps they know it. They, you know, look at those companies in terms of, I think, um, or I don't know what's the measure. Like uh, it's kind of adding back depreciation or something like that. But um, really, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like real estate has been a um, short-term beneficiary of inflation. And Mm -hmm. I've been hearing a lot of comments on LinkedIn uh, from people, you know, like who would say, okay, buy hard assets because there is inflation. But that is what is driving real estate overvalued in some Western and Southern markets right now. And so Mm -hmm. when I say overvalued, it's not actually just a statement where, okay, it's just like a phony statement that doesn't mean anything. It's just in very numeric terms, um, it deviated like uh, valuations, uh, fundamental Mm -hmm. valuations deviated from their historic levels in the middle of 2021 with inflation. And so yeah. that's been kind of like what I've, what I've been seeing. And that's something that we track under reality Quants because like reality Quant, actually on the market side is a market data code provider. One thing that we provide is actually market valuations for which markets are over, under, fairly bar. And so that's kind of what we do. So it's kind of like a quarterly, like every single quarter changing data. And so it was um, it was very different picture before mid-2021.
0: Got it. And then so w- from what you kind of derive over here, We should be expecting a valuation decreases over here. Now, is there some prediction on like what valuation discounts perhaps what we're seeing? Obviously, each market is very different, but let's just say very dear to our heart, you know, Phoenix market or Dallas market, Texas market, which is being real estate, hot markets, especially for commercial. You know, we've seen, I don't even know, I didn't track the pricing over here, but we've seen some pretty big jumps in terms of, positive gaining on valuation so mm-hmm. when you're looking at dialing it back because when we're looking at the cycle each cycle is always higher you know long-term wise long-term hold each cycle is always higher because you know inflationary mm-hmm. scenarios a long longer period of time so mm-hmm. um what would you predict the valuation when we hit the depression when it comes down to what do you think i'm not going to hold you Feet to the fire, but what do you think at that valuation discount? What we're expecting over
1: here? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's uh, so you've had a really great time, I would say. Yes, in those markets, I can. Yes, yeah, good it's, parties. It's, yes, you've done, like, <laughs> incredibly well, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, well, okay. I mean, it's. Um, I don't know if there is. Uh, how to say? I don't know if a recession necessarily. Goes as discounts but i can say like the following so let's say so i pulled the data for like 45 years back and actually yeah, i have yeah. a data for every single county in the us so 2700 us counties so mm-hmm. now and just it's this the concept is and you can do it yourself the concept it's just fundamental analysis of the prices based on income population and housing supply
0: mm-hmm.
1: now and the test for whether it works is used uh, used like the global financial crisis kind of back study and I computed like those valuations at the peak in every single region at the peak. And then the test for whether it works, uh, you know, was, okay, is it which measure? And I was looking at different measures actually at the time, but which measure in this case, this one deviation from population, income population, housing supply fundamentals mm-hmm. is correlates to the declines that happen subsequently in those regions. Where those declines mm-hmm. they take let's say four years, so that's so just trying to the predicted of the declines, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. uh, you get it in this sense, and so that was like the that was kind of the study. So now one thing to note on that, so I saw so like some charts online where people say, okay, real estate did not decline in the majority of recessions. This is absolutely mm-hmm. correct. Yeah, but the question is more why, because um so so I don't have like. Good price history before 1975. Myself, mm. I mean, I could do it just for broad U.S. or something, but I kind of started 1975. So 45 mm. years back, it's 47. So um, it, from that point, it's hard to hard. I don't have sufficient history to assess. Let's say 1980, 1981 recessions, but then 1991. Mm because it's just too close, 1991 and 2001 recession, there's basically no drop to real estate, to the broad US real estate market. Mm. And so, but if you look at the valuations so the same valuations that they compute for GFC for now as well, the, mm-hmm. the US real estate was, was actually even slightly undervalued both times. Mm. So it was negative, it was like, below it's fundamentals. Now undervalued real estate doesn't drop in recessions. That's been seen well, that's been seen during global financial crisis, There were around 12 states in global financial crisis that were undervalued, including Texas at the time, by the way. And they had an average drop of 4%. 4% was also incomes kind of drop in a recession. So um, let's say one can look at it in normalized by income terms. It's like valuations kind of don't drop as if, you know, kind of like stay the same. So Mm -hmm. it's like something like this. So so it's actually, um, yeah. So I don't expect undervalued real estate to drop in a recession at all. Fairly valued mm-hmm. could if there's a very broad correction and just kind of randomly okay something that's fairly valued could go a little bit down, and that mm-hmm. was the case then as well. Fairly valued markets did drop during global financial crisis, and then overvalued ones dropped a lot. And so,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. But the prior recessions, US real estate were actually below its fundamentals, and then mm-hmm. it came to GFC. US real estate was 20% above its fundamentals, and the US the broad nationwide drop was around 20%. Actually, roughly mm-hmm. the same. And then there were like four states that were very overvalued, California, Florida, Arizona, and Nevada. They were like in like 40 to 60% uh, positive valuation, like overvalued compared to their yeah. which was historical trend. And they dropped actually very much in line. So like 41 to 56%. And, and all the undervalued ones, like I mentioned, were like just like a 4% and drop. And it kind of gets too many numbers here. But then it's, right. So that's, you know, so, so my expectation again, like in this sense, I definitely don't expect under, fairly undervalued markets to decline because that just doesn't seem to happen with real estate. Real estate is very sticky on the downside. It's not like the stock market. Mm-hmm. Like prices kind of stay the same. So like when people say like, for example, if interest rates are rising and they say that could put downward pressure to prices, I don't think it does. I think it does for markets that are overvalued. Mm-hmm. I think otherwise prices stay the same. And so now the, the question now to your question, now which markets are overvalued well, let's start with just like um, quickly, like let's start with like through the beginning of 2021. So there were like different studies. There's Bloomberg Economics. They published a study for different countries published by an economist called Niraj Shah. And then there were like other studies. Mm-hmm. And uh, so beginning of 2021, U.S. real estate was fairly borrowed, like right around 100. hundreds. Actually, it's quite interesting. Like most people thought it's very expensive at the time, but broadly like nationwide, Right on the, around one hundred, and um, yeah, and on the contrary, like Canada and that they're the so-called Scans economies. So Scans yeah. economies are uh, they're like commodity exporters with independent yeah. central banks, like yeah. So Canada, Sweden, uh, Australia, Norway, New Zealand. So they had very overvalued real estate. That's been since two thousand eighteen, and so mm-hmm. Canada was like around let's say one hundred and fifty percent or something, like fifty percent above. Yeah, and US wow. is right one hundred. Now US changed afterwards and so I was tracking and I was tracking the same metrics like for every county like since beginning of COVID when I started doing this thing and mm-hmm. so um and so I had like um you know those metrics for for that period I was tracking every quarter, and they were roughly the same and they kind of doubled in the middle of 2021 and have been increasing and perhaps that may slow down now with the mortgage rates kind of not just mm-hmm. to, to stop per- perhaps increasing that much valuations yeah. in that sense, but, um, but yeah, but they kind of increased. And so what happened is that in, okay, before 2021, only Idaho was the only kind of state that was called overvalued, like
0: mm.
1: above tw- more than 20%, let's say, or like sharper kind of overvalued. And there were, you know, like very well-performing states like Texas and Florida were like eight to 10% valuation positive, four years consistently. And the same eight mm. to 10%, is now 22% for for mm. Texas, so okay. that's kind of the change with inflation that people are seeing. And, and, and but generally, it is Western um, Western states. I don't want to get into specific markets, but Western states, um, the six states to the west, like Idaho, uh, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, Washington. Mm, kind mm-hmm. of. And then to some extent, Florida and Texas to a lesser extent, perhaps than those uh, smaller Western states have some degree of overvaluation. Now, it doesn't mean it's really bad, but there is some, they have also performed the best. So they're the best markets. So wow. it's also an appreciation forecast for them. It's the best appreciation forecast, but it's just something to consider. Uh, there's also like uh, the the thing that if something is overwhelming doesn't mean it's going to correct. Prices could also, in theory, stay the same or, or not. i would say we could have like income super growth. That was kind of some of my hope with inflation that okay, inflation drove some of the asset prices above their fundamentals, but if really income catches up, then that could resolve partially at least. Uh, but so far, it hasn't happened. Now, if income, let's say, was to experience some kind of super growth to grow really strongly, some of that could resolve. If also, on the contrary, prices don't decline but let's say they become kind of stagnant or they just stay the same for a few years then income catches up then that could be another way to to kind of leave the overvaluation and those are very possible scenarios really with so it's not it. like uh, particular. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah so it's very interesting because in the last one and a half month because the interest rate increase has been probably hit at a critical point over here a lot of the capital has sitting on the side so therefore mm. the re-estate market specifically to commercial uh, the ones that we're in um, we have yes. actually experienced a lot of retrade that's happening and then the general mm. discounts about anywhere between one percent to ten percent in terms of uh, as the re-trade rates so what's being done it was about a one to three percent the retrade rates what ended up getting done people are requesting for up to 10% of discount on things. So we we definitely see this is really happening all at the same time. That being said, if last year things has you know, in some markets has really doubled in valuation and et cetera, which is pretty crazy. And, uh, you know, with a 10% discount, you're still in the positive.
1: That is correct. No, that is correct. And actually another thing, like just to add to like what you mentioned, of course, yeah, of course, to the extent when one gets a deal on the the property side, that that some of that risk gets moderated, right? Very much. Mm -hmm. And also this is really, uh, it's really the broad housing market. So then there can be a question as to how commercial multifamily stands relative to that.
0: Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. relatively to the rest of the asset types, such as industrials or commercial or single family specifically. I think that's probably what people understood,
1: yeah. Yes, because again, like this is like just for, this is really based on just like broad housing data, government housing data, that's not commercial multi-family. Now I had done like, just like a simple like, Mm, regression to see like commercial multifamily like costar index versus like some of the residential ones like historically and they have like a 91 percent price correlation so they're not you know like totally off mm-hmm. but it is very different because we have seen like after the global financial price we have seen a much smaller decline in commercial multifamily but mm-hmm. then still just for the record because they do hear like many sponsors kind of say okay commercial multifamily is different even if real estate is overvalued maybe commercial multifamily is just going to be just fine, but it's not necessarily could be that commercial multifamily could be more overvalued in some markets. It's just, Mm -hmm. I don't have the data to track it. So it could go either way. You know, it's not, you know, if you have like excessive rent growth, you know, for example, that could result in, in, in that situation, commercial multifamily relative to, you know, residential. So it's just, I am not able to well comment. I kind of track it intuitively as myself, I look at commercial assets as an investor And I Mm -hmm. do use the general housing market a little bit as a proxy. I know they're not the same, but I do track kind of intuitively. And I also track like the deals that people do on the commercial side there and try to see, okay, does it seem like it's moving in line? And I just know that, let's say, some of the rent growth that happened in Western markets did coincide with the residential housing valuations moving up as well. So there is uh, some kind of overlap. But again, they're not the same. We know that commercial multifamily was, you know, to an extent resilient in like a housing decline past global financial crisis, the housing valuations are not even, are not nearly as bad as they were then as well. Mm-hmm. They're about halfway, I would say. So yeah.
0: And then in the last recession, when this happened, I know each state is mm-hmm. different. Each city is different. Even yeah. each submarket is different. But in mm-hmm. general, is there a, a data reference points to look at how much the Delta of like the single family drop look like? And then the versus the commercial, like multifamily specifically. Is one kind of fair to better than the other? Right
1: myself i don't have it because i mean i'm not sure let's say sure you guys have let's say costar right and mm-hmm. now do you have just there like certain primary markets like one could compare for certain primary markets of course mm-hmm. in that sense And kind yeah of the data there for like all those like a bunch of cities and in that sense i take kind of a broader view like i said since i kind of like a literally pull like every single county in the country so i would not be able to do a broader comparison versus commercial since i just think there is not going to be that much commercial data you know, mm-hmm. but for specific, you know, markets, like they say, Atlanta, Georgia or so on and so forth, like very specific cities, um, I'm sure one would be able to to do that. You know, that's a that's an mm-hmm. interesting study.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. Yeah, because I think now I'm going to ask a very novice question over here, because on your blog over here, you kind of talked about one of your blog is talking about US real estate peak to peak price changes. Um, and then you have kind of put this article, which you written last year, best performing US market since fair valuation. Um, and then you kind yeah. of highlight a few of these markets and you you listed out the worst performers and the best performers. Now, theoretically, would someone just kind of take on these worst performers and go through this and check with the fundamentals of the population growth and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, the ones that over here I can see except for New Mexico, perhaps like everyone else is, um, you know, traditionally a very low growth state um, versus the the one that was um, fair valuation to current price changes are pretty drastic. So would someone kind of take your worst performance and trying to like pick something out of that and say, okay, assuming these are gonna be in the value and are probably gonna be protecting my asset a little bit better. Or should someone's kind of like picking essentially the tier two markets on the left-hand side, which is your uh, one that grow the most, or it's kind of hard to say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's a great question. So the let's say so the valuations in terms of let's say where the market is valued is a good predictor of downside risk. It's actually a, to the, to the degree of like eighty five percent or so correlation at the state level. Now is it a good predictor of appreciation no <laughs> it's like i tested it and it's maybe like around 12% or something so it's there's like a mild positive if something is undervalued is it going to do well in the future no mm. it's generally not so uh. things that are, that's like a very important thing and that's also the uh. opposite So some people think like sometimes if I say, let's say I've been talking about Idaho since 2020. So since since in 2020, like I mentioned, Idaho has been kind of like overbought. And so people would think I'm bearish. What they don't know is I run appreciation forecasts, and Idaho and Boise specifically in Idaho, the um, best performing city in America, this market cycle, was at the top of my appreciation forecast if I'm to forecast one year ahead appreciation. Simultaneously, it's overbought. So those are different things. So, like, so valuation is a very good predictor, very strong predictor in real estate of downside risk. In a, mm. of upside, no, like things that are overvalued, they continue going up. The reason for this, I think, is momentum, and it's that if one tests auto correlation in all the markets, for example, let's say one takes Florida right, at the state level, auto correlation like seventy-seven percent. So the correlation of this year price growth versus last year price growth, very high, seventy-seven percent. Massachusetts was like seventy-nine. You know, so so there's a strong momentum. So things that perform well, they continue performing well. Now, if you Mm -hmm. want to pick the best markets, in my opinion, what is a good approach is the following. So I did like a a study where, okay, take population income growth, population growth, housing supply growth, Mm -hmm. and I forecast them separately. Like I try to forecast population, try to forecast. And like there can be like this, like Facebook profit is one model. There is, you know, like exponential triple smoothing, like ARIMA, like different. Just that they're pretty mostly like older statistical models. And then besides the Facebook one, let's say, and so and so, just like to forecast the ahead, right? It's not like super useful, but let's let's see, okay. Mm-hmm. And so and if you forecast the fundamentals and then off of those fundamentals forecast the real estate prices, I had a five times bigger error than if I just forecast the prices themselves. Uh That's one thing to note. So if you think about like the inherent approach in which most investors pick markets, they say it has this population growth, maybe job growth, like all those parameters. And that's okay. It works well enough. It works well enough. But if one wants to get super precise on where it's going to be the best appreciation because Mm -hmm. of the, the presence of momentum and autocorrelation, you want to be forecasting the prices themselves. And that's kind of what I've seen. So there's like an interesting kind of like insight on that side. So now if one want, but that's because we are also fairly further in the market cycle and we already have mm-hmm. kind of price histories. So like to your point, yeah. if let's say now, let's say some markets are, to your point are undervalued or, and they also happen to be the ones that are not performing well, right? Are they mm-hmm. uh, going to forecast good appreciation? No. Now we were, let's say, um, let's say prices were to decline, like, you know, in a recession, and now all those valuations kind of resolve and perhaps some things even go a little bit undervalued. At that point, we have no price history in this market cycle in terms of momentum. It just has to start kind of fresh. And so mm-hmm. we need to just like forecast, do that second approach that I mentioned, like forecast then the fundamentals, like the population, income and so forth, and mm-hmm. often forecast the prices, right? And so right. that be the best thing to do at that time. Now, once we're already in a cycle, like now it's very easy to predict next year appreciation, assuming we have like, I actually was, did like a fork for 2018, 2019 prices, based on like 45 year histories. And whenever we're within the same trend, which was like 2018, 2019, the error for just for states, this is very high level, was like 1.4% of the true prices you yeah. know wow. and so it's actually so one can do it but then that breaks the moment the trend changes right so then the, the trend changes changed in 2021 with inflation
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so that breaks but then if it does break then you see that in your downside risk predict in your valuation and so then you kind of get that as well so it's like the two things for me are like how that's actually how i pick markets like that's i've done like with my own webinar, I sometimes like lecture on like how to pick markets. So that's like, for me, forecasting appreciation is like best done. Just look at the price histories, honestly, mm-hmm. even better than the fundamentals. So I can kind of look at them on the side, okay, To as a mm-hmm. check, but really, um, you know, sanity check, but really the best way is just that. And, uh, and yeah, so things that have performed well, even if they're overvalued, they continue performing well. But at some point, if there is a trigger and that could be interest rates, um, you know, then that could change. And so that has been like my discussion with like very much specifically, primarily Idaho, where Idaho is really standing up, um, you know, kind of above everything else, like for a while. And so Idaho is like, I think at like plus 50% overvalued at the,
0: the current mm-hmm. time.
1: Actually, it's like pretty crazy. And like Boise yeah. Boise, and Idaho is even more. And Boise is the best performing city. And I've been talking to like few people like who are in Idaho, actually. And, um, you know, they seem to think that how to say, like they seem to think that if you do like a simple model, like this, you're not going to be able to capture all the stuff that's driving that market forward. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true because suppose that there's like all those new technology plants or plants or so forth, like jobs and so forth that they're developing in a market called in Austin, so forth it's going to get reflected yeah. in uh, the income and the population of that place subsequently so it's gonna mm-hmm. have to go there in that data in my opinion mm-hmm. and so if it doesn't then that's strange so then that's kind of there there is something there and so so that's kind of like example but again like boise is also the best performing one so the highest appreciation forecast also highest uh, downside
0: risk mm-hmm. okay because it kind of goes the cyclic in terms of that um that's very interesting um well awesome stefan i i totally expected a super deep dive into this i think we definitely invite you over and talk about more specific on market i learned a lot of myself over here how does people find more about this great data stuff that you have offer and then the about the reality quant
1: mm-hmm. yeah great question uh so yeah so on the market side it's published at realityquant.com so we have like a quarterly, like it's like it gets updated quarterly, like um, to people. So just like forever, like in perpetuity. So it kind of, cause it changes, right? So I need to kind of have it like updated all the time. Like what if it goes like more, less undervalued and so forth. That's on the market side, on the property side, So, so Realticone.com, the property side, I don't have a product yet. I'm looking to release like a commercial multifamily, like some off-market financial modeling for commercial multifamily. It hasn't been there yet. So for the time being, it's just the market data um, and everything else I just use in-house. Like I do like property analytics and so forth as an investor myself, so.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So you can find Stefan and his company on. Um, I will put the link below over here um, at the Realty Quant and they have looks like there's an economy or so over there and he writes pretty data-driven blogs and webinars and etc for us to consume over there too Um, so that's awesome Stefan thank you so much for your data-driven you know approach to the real estate stuff Uh, we definitely learned a lot in in the session thank you this wraps up for another 10,000 roads to financial independence and we'll see you next time